In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Nathan C. Love. And I'm Michael Bloom. And today we have a super exciting and super depressing mm-hmm. and also super funny episode. Yeah, we'll see. It's gonna be a really roller it's gonna be a roller coaster. Right? <laughs> it's gonna be a roller coaster. So we're gonna start out by talking about some of the really funny shit that Republicans have said this week about COVID. Mm-hmm. And that is hopefully going to be a funny, lighthearted segment of, haha, look at these clowns. We'll see. We'll see. Those clowns are having a pretty dire impact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. And then we're going to switch gears completely and talk about Yemen, which is going to be rough. Yeah. I'm just warning you now, is going to be rough. Yep. And then we're going to end by talking about gun negligence, which is only going to be the second most depressing thing we're going to talk about today. (laughs) So, again, I'm warning you about the Yemen segment. Yeah. It's going to be depressing. As are all of the installments of Sorry We Fucked Up Your Country. Yeah, yeah. It's I forgot to mention that. It's an installment of Sorry We Fucked Up Your Country. Yeah. So... I mean, I'm excited about this episode, and I'm also kind of dreading it, Michael. It's an important episode. We'll try to keep it light when we can, but also yeah. not allied over the really important, devastating information that's out there. So Yeah. You know what other information I'm dreading, Michael? What? The COVID numbers. You know, you should, actually, this week. It's, it's actually not good. <laughs> yeah. So we've reached 269 million cases worldwide which is up from 264 million last week. So that's actually 5 million new cases in a week. Um, which, and that's up from 3 million new cases in a week from the, the, the weeks prior to that. So that's 714,000 new cases per day. Um, and, and for the past few weeks, we've been just at 430,000 new cases per day. So a huge increase. Um, in terms of death, we've hit 5.30 million deaths worldwide, which is up from 5.25 million from the week before. So that's 50,000 new deaths in a week, or about 7,100 deaths per day, up from 5,700 deaths per day from the week before. So another big increase there. Um, We've reached 56.8% of the world's population with at least one dose of the vaccine, which is up from 55.9% from the week before. So just under a 1% increase in uh, initial dose um, vaccination rate. In the U.S., we've hit 50.5 million cases, which is up from 49.7 million cases the week before. So that's 800,000 new cases in a week, or about 114,000 cases per day, up from 86,000 cases per day from the week before. So another big increase. Um, In terms of death in the U.S., we've hit 815,000 deaths, up from 806,000 the week before. So that's 9,000 new deaths in a week, or 1,300 deaths per day, up from 860 deaths per day from the week before. So nearly a 500 deaths per day increase. 
for the week before. In the U.S., 60% of the population is fully vaccinated, with 71% having at least one dose. And those numbers are up just 1% from the prior week when 59% were fully vaccinated and 70% had at least one dose. So things pretty much across the board either like stayed relatively stable and not very increasing vaccination rates, or in terms of cases and deaths, everything got way worse. Yeah. Well, I think one thing we should also point out is a lot of what has affected those numbers is probably the Omicron variant. Mm -hmm. And at least based on what I've seen so far, like, I mean, it's obviously it's bad if you get the Omicron variant, but apparently it's not as deadly. Mm. So that's at least good news. Yeah. I mean, that's very good news. Like you would think early on in the pandemic, People were positing that this would probably go the direction of other viral infections where like it starts off more deadly and as it circulates around and people get it, it becomes less deadly and more transmissible and it becomes something like the flu or something like that. Those who didn't think it was already the flu to begin with. Um, And we're still really, really far from that point. Um, But it's good news that at least the newest, more contagious variant is uh, seems a little bit less deadly. Yeah. You still don't want to get it. Yeah. You just don't. Which uh, apparently is news to some people. <laughs> so let's <laughs> jump actually, right in. <laughs> which actually brings us to it. So I, I think I wanna, I'm going to go ahead and start with that. So I, 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 I can't believe that I have to say this. I, I seriously, I am stunned that I even have to say this, Mm -hmm. but here goes getting COVID is bad. (laughs) You do not want to get COVID. Now you might be asking, well, fucking duh, Nathan. And you might Mm -hmm. also be thinking, well, hold on, Nathan. I mean, okay, I think I see where you're going with this. You're probably about to cite some obscure right-wing figure that I've probably never heard of who said something stupid on, uh, you know, on on some obscure news show about go out and and get the virus, Mm -hmm. but this person probably has no relevant to my life and probably has no political power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, no. (laughs) So uh, Florida Representative Matt Gates, a person who has power to make legislation in our country, Mm -hmm. was on One America News Network, and he said, quote, the best vaccine we've found is Mother Nature's vaccine. It's contracting the virus. This is what has provided the greatest protection, the most durable protection, over the longest period of time. Okay. Two things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's break that Uh, down. You know, there's a lot. Let's break that down for a second. So first off, uh, we actually did have my, when my father was on here, the A&P professor, Mm -hmm. he did talk about how in some cases, in some studies, they found that the MRNA vaccines were actually slightly more protect, protective, than uh, the natural immunity. Mm-hmm. 
Now, that doesn't mean that natural immunity is not effective. And based on based on my understanding, which again is is based on what I've read and what I've been told, natural immunity is absolutely more effective than the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which mm. is a more traditional vaccine. Mm-hmm. But as far as the uh, mRNA vaccine, in some cases, that's actually a little bit more effective. But let's go ahead and grant him this point. Like, so let's assume that he's right. Yeah, sure. All right. So the thing that you get, the argument that he that he's making is that the thing that you get from the virus is immunity to the virus. But here's the problem. Yeah. There's another thing that you get when you get the virus. The virus. You get the virus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which means that you get sick and you could die. It so, blows me away that <laughs> the incre- like if if this wasn't a segment that we're doing because there's so much of this bullshit flying around this week, this would be a Dershowitz bag because yeah. that is the most self-defeating thing I've ever heard. If you don't well, want to get COVID, the best thing you can possibly do is get COVID. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's that's the funny thing because the way that this segment was kind of created was I so I was reading a bunch of really stupid shit from one right winger after another, from one elected Republican or you know in some cases a commentator to another. And I was like, wow, this is our Dershowitz bag. And then I read another mm-hmm. one. And I was like, no, this is our Dershowitz bag. And then I read another and I was like, this is our Dershowitz bag. And then finally I was like, oh God, we just got to do a whole segment in which we laugh at these fucking clowns. Yeah. The big benefit of the vaccine, which you know is what it was made for, is that you don't get it. Or if you do get it, it's like the most effective treatment for it. That's yeah. like the big benefit, which, you know, kind of goes out the window if you're basically saying what you have to do to make, you know, yourself immune is get it the first time. And then you're definitely not going to get it the second time. <laughs> is that really the bar we're setting? Don't get COVID and twice. The thing is, <laughs> if, if we went with this strategy... If we went with the strategy of let's just try to get everybody COVID, like 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 let's understand that he's basically saying that the what the strategy should be is let everybody get COVID, and if you survive, you're good, and if you die, go fuck yourself. This strategy would leave millions dead. There's already hundreds of thousands dead in the United States. Mm-hmm. This strategy would leave millions dead in the United States. Yeah, imagine being that fucking stupid to be fair like in the in the interview he said like it makes sense for some people who are at higher risk to get it but the fact that like you can take this soundbite of him going just get it is incredibly irresponsible yeah and and it's it's not negligible the percentage of people who are in non-high-risk categories that still die from this disease and importantly the thing we talked about with Raymond and we emphasized the last time that you know he was on our show is the relative impact. Yes, like there are certain people that are at a relatively low risk for a you know severe reaction to COVID-19. But there are way fewer people who are at any kind of risk at all for any kind of reaction to the vaccine. Like, on a relative basis, it is just a non-starter saying that COVID, like, is somehow better than the vaccine. It's clearly yeah. and obviously and, and like, like, 
by definition not. Yeah. So uh, next on our list, let's talk about Joe Rogan for a second. Now, <laughs> I, I do. I almost. I don't think I've ever actually really talked about Joe Rogan. He is yeah. so. He is. He is so not He's, on my radar. <laughs> well, so here's the thing about Joe Rogan. Um, he is a mixed bag. Yeah, he really is a mixed bag because there are times in which I'm watching conversations that he has, in which I'm thinking, "Wow, this is a super interesting conversation." This is really cool. This is really insightful. And I'm learning so much. And then there are times where I watch him and he just says the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. And I think what it is, is that where Joe Rogan shines is when he has, he's talking to a really smart person. Mm -hmm. Like when he's talking to a really smart person, he knows the right questions to ask. Mm. And he also shines when he's talking to a really stupid person where he knows the right questions to ask so that they can reveal themselves to be a really stupid person. Gotcha. But when he's doing his own commentary, most of the time, I mean, okay, a lot of the time, he just says things that are really, really stupid. And to his credit, oftentimes, there, there have been many cases in which he said something that's really stupid and later gone back and been like, hey, no one should have listened to me, I'm an idiot. But in some cases, he'll say things that are just dangerous that need to be fucking called out. And this is one of them. So he was talking about uh, monoclonal antibodies, which is a treatment for COVID, which at this point, based on based on what I've seen, it's it's still in the sort of uh, emergency use authorization by the FDA, but it doesn't have full FDA approval. So kind of like what the vaccine was um, until it got the full FDA approval. And most most of the studies seem to indicate that it's not a bad treatment. I mean, it's what Trump got, mm-hmm. uh, which probably saved his ass. Um, and it the, the issue is there's not as much of it, and it's a lot more expensive. So what Joe Rogan was trying to say was he was trying to make the argument that monoclonal antibodies are hard to get because the government— is purposely trying to restrict, like they're creating an artificial shortage of them so that they can, so that pharmaceutical companies can make more money off of the vaccine. And later he even said uh, in in this, in this idiotic rant, he later, he even said, uh, people who are vaccinated want those of us who are want people that are unvaccinated to get vaccinated because they know they took a risk when they got vaccinated and they want to make sure people are taking the same risk. And he's like, I, you know, everybody knows somebody that's had a bad reaction to the vaccine. Okay. So a lot to break down there. Mm-hmm. Lots to say. Okay. The first thing is pharmaceutical companies developed both the vaccine and monoclonal antibodies as a treatment. Mm-hmm. So they get money from both of those things. <laughs> well, I, I I just Yeah. I mean what, Also, like how would they <laughs> it would be better for them, right? Yeah. To have people get the treatment because it's non preventative. Well, right? Yeah, it's if, like, more expensive, and it's more expensive. So, like, if they really wanted to make money and lobby, they then would, they would, yeah, they'd create an artificial shortage of vaccines. Yeah, so everybody would, yeah, that's that's dumb. And also, like, 
People that are vaccinated want you to take the same risk that they took because they knew they were taking a risk when they got vaccinated. What? What evidence? Where? What is the evidence? Like, what is this based off of? (laughs) I want people to get vaccinated because I don't want them to to risk getting COVID. Yeah, I don't want to risk them dying of COVID. I've had two relatives die of COVID. I don't want anybody else to die of COVID. I don't want people to take that risk. Yeah, and like, what risk the vaccine? I don't. I didn't feel like I was taking a risk. I you know what risk I was taking. I was going to have to drink a lot of Gatorade because the next day I was going to feel kind of shitty. Yeah. And like, I I don't know if that's what he means by bad reaction. Cause like other than the reaction that they told us that we would have, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, no most one. of the people I know, most of, most of the people in my life are vaccinated mm-hmm. and I don't know a single one that's had a major reaction. Same, same. Like, Be- yeah, because it's super fucking rare. Yeah. It's super fucking rare. Yeah. Again, um, Joe Morgan, where's your evidence for this claim? Yeah. And also, I mean, he's making an anecdotal fallacy argument, which yeah. again, I could very easily make the same anecdotal fallacy argument about the fact that I know two people that have died of COVID. Mm-hmm. All right. So you, you just, it's just, it, it's a non-starter. It's a stupid fucking argument. Yeah. Or as, uh, as Don Jr. puts it um, in a tweet, quote, I trust Joe Rogan more than I trust Anthony Fauci. I mean, that's it right there. Like that's, that is the (laughs) phenomenon. It's like the defining phenomenon of our time is you trust the loud, familiar face over the expert, even if you're familiar with the expert, because the expert by being expert is part of the establishment and the establishment is by definition evil and wrong. Yeah. That's the phenomenon. Yeah. And I mean, that's just beyond parody. I mean, that's, that is just beyond parody. SNL has made jokes about that, has made jokes about the idea of someone being dumb enough to trust uh, Joe Rogan more than an actual fucking doctor. They have made jokes about that. And here Don Jr. is saying he trusts a fucking comedian. <laughs> I think that's a pretty a, good uh, idea. <laughs> a reality TV show host, which I mean, I, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, a fucking, uh, former, uh, uh, what was it? Like, uh, MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. Like, look, like I said, Joe Rogan is good at talking to really smart people and asking the right questions yeah. and having an interesting conversation. He's an entertainer, but, He's an entertainer. Yeah. He's really like in terms of his own his own knowledge on this stuff, he really is not that knowledgeable. He just isn't. And I don't mean that as an insult. I'm not super knowledgeable about this. The stuff that I tell you about is stuff that I've read from people that are knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> Yeah. So it, I mean, if you if you trust, I mean, if you trust a fucking comedian over the like the yeah. nation's leading expert on virology, yeah, I mean, you're an idiot. Yeah, if you ever, I just, if, I don't if you even ever know what to hear say. us go like, you know who's wrong, Fauci. You know the evidence I have, none. But he's wrong. Don't believe us. Like that'd be stupid. <laughs> or if I, or if we said, you know, the evidence we have, um, Dave Chappelle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or fucking. You know, I've uh, heard from people. <laughs> yeah. 
so let's uh, from there. Let's go ahead and turn to one of our favorite asses that keep on hatting. Yep, Marjorie Taylor Jewish Space Lasers Green. Mm-hmm. So as if the things that we've already gone over weren't stupid enough. Again, all of these, everything that we've gone over so far could warrant a Dershowitz bag mm-hmm. award. So Marjorie Taylor Green tweeted, "Quote: Every single year." More than 600,000 people in the U.S. die from cancer. The country has never once shut down. Not a single school is closed. And every year, over 600,000 people of all races will continue to die from cancer. Since COVID-19 tracking has started, 780,000 plus people have died in 22 months in the U.S. But more than 1 million still died of cancer. More have died in 2021 from COVID than in 2020. In spite of government mandate and wide, widespread vaccines, public masking, and trillions spent. So there's, there's two major problems with this. The first one, if you, uh, if you have a brain and it <laughs> functions to a moderate capacity, you'll probably get immediately. Um. And that is the the fact that she just compared COVID to cancer. Mm-hmm. Pretty different. Pretty different. <laughs> you know, she was I like, can't... she was like, you know, the debunked comparison between the flu and COVID that just makes too much damn sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is another case of I can't believe I need to fucking explain this, but here goes. Cancer is not communicable. COVID is communicable. You mean to tell it me makes... <laughs> that if I kept everyone home from school, people would still get cancer? Yeah. Mind blowing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, the implicit point is also like the weird, weird self-defeating part of this is like, yeah, 600,000 people dying a year from cancer is terrible. We should, keep investing in trying to solve that. Like we should yeah. put the money into finding the solutions to f- try to solve that. We, we invest some, I mean, we, we didn't, we made a comparison. Like we make comparisons across causes of death on this show, but they're about specific points and they're never about whether it's like, you know, they're never about like trying to apply the same solution to a totally like apples to oranges problem. Like, money being a good solution would be a a really good way to address cancer. Let's throw fucking money at the problem. Like let's stop 600,000, you know, deaths a year. Yeah. But that's the opposite of what the point she was making. The point she was making was that we should just be fine with it. Yeah. And as for the other point that she made, which on the surface does look like it could be a, uh, uh, a stronger point, but it just takes a little bit of thought to really realize it is bullshit, Mm -hmm. which is the point of how more people have died in 2021 than in uh, 2020. Mm -hmm. So it's important to note that the first few months of 2020 COVID wasn't a huge issue. Mm -hmm. Like it didn't start exploding until the summer. Yeah. It, it by definition expands exponentially. So yeah, it starts small and it didn't really like hit the stride that it's been going at pretty much all year here until like the middle or the end of the summer. Like in order to make 
comparisons that make sense. You have to not just look at the total number, but the increase. Yeah. Because again, it, how much have we decreased exponential growth? And what's funny is that the graph that she shows actually does demonstrate that decrease in existential in uh, ex exponential growth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so she just didn't, you know, it, she just knows she, she had just, to put a picture. Well, it. she didn't understand it because she doesn't fucking know statistics. Yeah. The implicit claim that she's making is really problematic. Like she's implicitly claiming that if we're okay with 600,000 people dying from cancer, um, which we're not, but she's basically claiming that we are, then we should be okay with 600,000 people dying from COVID. We've made the claim on this show, you know, we've made the, the point on the show multiple times that introducing a new cause of death, except for cases where someone would have died from cancer, but instead they died from COVID, is incremental, right? 600,000 more people, you know, at that threshold would die. So at this point, it's been, you know, 700 or 800 and 800 plus thousand people that have died from COVID incrementally. Um, and the thing is like that perspective that you should just be okay with any new cause of death. That's the leading killer of people is like, that's like enough to like annihilate us. <laughs> like, like, okay. In the U S 4 million babies are born a year. And 3.4 million people died in 2020, right? So right there, you got 600,000 people, 600,000 delta between the number of people that were born and the number of people that died. So introduce like two more top killers and all of a sudden your population is declining. <laughs> like yeah. people are dying faster than they're being born. Like, and then that'll just keep getting worse and worse and worse. Like the idea that we can just inevitably keep adding number one killers of people and not like have terrible effects for all of humanity is just inane apart from the humanitarian perspective that we would it would be better if thousands hundreds of thousand people didn't die yeah yeah the final one i want to talk about and I mean, I think that I think that uh, ranking these is really subjective. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I'm going to say that this is the worst, but it's pretty <laughs> fucking bad. Would be Senator Ron Johnson, mm. which we haven't talked about Senator Ron Johnson in a while. Yeah. We haven't been giving him the spotlight that he deserves, <laughs> and I I feel kind of bad about that. I feel like we've been negligent in that regard. Mm. So let's go ahead and give him his just attention. So uh, he was doing an interview on uh, Brian Kilmeade's show on uh, Fox Radio in which he was talking about COVID and comparing it to AIDS. Now, when I, f when I first hear something like that, my thought is, oh, wow. A, uh, you're comparing COVID to another disease that the government completely... Uh, underplayed, mm -hmm. um, reduced resources for, for fighting against, uh, primarily affects minorities, and um, resulted in hundreds of thousands of Americans dying. Wow, that's actually surprisingly insightful. Yeah, pretty progressive point from Ron Johnson. Yeah. And then I actually read the quotation, and he said, quote, 
Fauci did the exact same thing with AIDS. He overhyped it. He created all kinds of fear, saying it could affect the entire population when it couldn't. He's using the same playbook with COVID, ignoring therapy, pushing a vaccine. Where to start? <laughs> okay, there's no, there's currently no vaccine for no AIDS. No vaccine. Didn't push it. No vaccine. Um, there is therapy, but that happened after it had already been raging in the United States and when the the government finally acknowledged its existence, which took many years. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, Reagan didn't even publicly say the word AIDS until uh, 1985. Wow. <laughs> Overhyping? It, it was famously ignored. Yeah. It was like the, the case of AIDS is famously a case where there were some disease experts like Dr. Fauci, mm -hmm. actually, behind the scenes who were saying, hey, we should probably be looking at this. And politicians who are like, eh, fuck it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know what it finally took mm -hmm. for the government to actually care about AIDS? It took a white Republican heterosexual woman to give a speech at the Republican National Convention in which she said, not, not that we should care about the gays that have been killed, but the argument that she had to make for people to care was that, oh, it's not just gays that are dying from it because it's, it can also be re white Republican women like me that can get it. So therefore you should start caring. And that's what got people to start caring. Mm. <laughs> you know, not the fact that people were dying because fuck them, they're gay. Yeah. That's the comparison that, he, that Ron Johnson is making. You fucking dumbass. Seriously. And I love Fauci's response to it. Uh, so Fauci responded by just saying, um, quote, how do you respond to something as preposterous as that? Overhyping AIDS? It killed 750,000 Americans, 36 million people worldwide. How do you overhype that? Overhype COVID? It's already killed 780,000 Americans and over 5 million people worldwide. So I don't have a clue what he's talking about. <laughs> I think it's so funny. Like the Ron Johnson and honestly, and like Jim Jordan, like a continued attacks on Fauci is like the most like out of your weight class like yeah. rivalry ever. Fauci's like, what are these stupid people fucking doing? And they're like, you're you're bad. And he's like, God, get off. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, it's like, it's ridiculous. It's like an adult, like getting yeah. bullied by a child. <laughs> it's, no, like, it's like, why it, are you it's doing like, this? It's like a mosquito trying to stay, trying to bite uh Dwayne the Rock Johnson exactly exactly it's gonna die <laughs> like yeah. that isn't that isn't to say that Fauci is like Jesus no. the way some people treat not him. like Dwayne the Rock Johnson yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like a Republican senator does not know more yeah. than he does yeah stop trying to yeah yeah and the thing is so to wrap all these things up like this has been one week this has been one week of these claims and we are we are over 700 
days. Right? A hundred weeks into this. A hundred weeks of claims like this. And we're laughing about it because it's pretty fucking funny. But this is having real impacts. Like, we talked about, like, stochastic terrorism. Like, this is, like, stochastic, like, poor health decisions. Like, (laughs) if if you continue to say this shit and make these arguments, people are going to listen to you. Like, according to the CDC, people who are unvaccinated are 11 times more at risk of death for the Delta variant than those who are vaccinated. Right? These claims are dangerous. Um, the rate of dying from COVID is 50% higher in red states than blue states. Think about that. That's not like... higher in people that are vaccinated versus unvaccinated, or even 50% higher for people that are Republican versus people that are Democrat. It's 50% higher in states that are at least 51% Republican. Yeah. Um, According to a a study from the Kaiser Family Foundation, 94% of Republicans think one or more, believe one or more false statements about COVID and vaccine safety might be true. 94% believe something false about the vaccine or this disease. And when you believe things that are false about this disease and you act recklessly, you are at a higher risk of death. And it's Mm. politically skewed. These people are killing off their own voters. We're trying to save Republican lives. (laughs) So that they can go off and continue to vote for these idiots. Yeah. Like, yeah. I want these people to be alive to vote for the next dumbass fucking Republican. Yeah. I should not want that more than the people that are being voted in. And now it's time for a more lighthearted segment. Good Breaking news, everybody. Oh, no. Listen, I just discovered something, Michael. Uh I just discovered something. All right. Now, this is going to blow your mind. This is going to blow everybody's mind. All right. So I need you to I need you to bear with me. Okay. All right. Birds are not real. No way. I fully believe okay. you one hundred percent at face value. Birds are completely not real. All right. Wow. In fact, birds have not been real for a while. What? So so you know how birds are always like they're always resting on power lines. Yeah. And we all just assume like, oh, well, maybe they think it's a tree or whatever. Yeah. No. Birds are birds birds when they existed, they were smarter than that. Yeah. They were a lot smarter than that. Mm-hmm. You see, uh, the reason why they rest on those power lines is because they're not actually birds. They're robots. What? All right. They're robots and they are charging. And the government killed all of the birds. All the birds? Replaced them with robots. All of them. There are no birds left. They don't exist. They're extinct. All right. The government, the government replaced them with robots and they, they use those robots to spy on us. All right. This is the biggest, this is the biggest. This is huge. This is, this huge. is the biggest story of the century. This is a swarm of birds. Huge. A swarm. This of is birds. all of the birds. Birds yeah. are not real. This is coming across. You're hearing this live coming across the situation desk. It turns out birds are not real. <laughs> if you are confused right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this has been a live radio production of Birds and Our <laughs> Real. 
Um, so yeah, so this is actually gonna actually, <coughs> yeah, because <laughs> this is just too fucking funny. Someone yeah. has finally made a a conspiracy theory that is so hilarious and such a good parody of all these other bullshit conspiracy theories. Because you know, one, it's a funny slogan. Two, yeah, b- birds are not real. People would totally believe that shit. Yes. They would. <laughs> <laughs> so th- to be clear, this is a parody. Yes. Like the people movement. that created yes. this, they they obviously don't actually believe it. They did it as a parody. Yeah. And and honestly, it's not even. I would say that this is one of those conspiracy theories that's not necessarily harmful. Um, it's just funny. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's meant to be a parody. It was started by like a 23-year-old college student. And it's like getting like real hilarious like support. Like they 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 organized a rally outside of the headquarters of Twitter trying to get them to change their logo from a bird. <laughs> what, to a robot? I, I don't know. I was just like trying to, because like, it was a bird and birds are now offensive. They're not real. It's government overreach. Birds are government overreach. They've got like T-shirts. It's like so fucking funny. <laughs> yeah, it gave me a good chuckle today. This, yeah, I, I, I hope that I hope that gave you a bit of a laugh. I'm sure that you were probably confused at first. <laughs> we decided we were just going to play it as totally serious. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I mean, Michael was saying earlier, it's kind of like um, uh, pastafarianism. Yeah, yeah. If you're aware of that, it's that that's like a. It's like a uh, parody of like religious belief um, that holds that at any moment the great pasta monster could be touching you with his noodly appendage. It basically that uh, a, a giant monster of pasta and meat sauce and red uh, meatballs and red sauce uh, controls secretly controls the universe. Um, with his noodly appendage. And yeah, that's basically the same thing for conspiracy. I mean, it's just intuitive, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just, just <laughs> something you can believe. Just like the fact that birds are no longer real. Are not real. Yeah. R.I.P. birds. And that's good, actually. Okay, so for our second segment, we are doing another installment of Sorry We Fucked Up Your Country. And... Uh, this installment is a pretty heavy one and yeah. a recent one and an, honestly an ongoing one. A current one. Yeah. yeah. Because like a lot of times these segments will be, you know, we did a bunch of really shitty shit in the 60s and 70s or 80s or 90s or whatever and there's a lasting legacy that the government is ignoring and pretending doesn't exist and is not helping to fix. In this case the United States is actively contributing to making the situation worse. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's all because of the military industrial complex. It's mind blowing how true that is and how obvious that is in this case. So in order to understand our role in this first, we need to talk a little bit of history and there's a lot of really complicated history like in just the last decade yeah. in Yemen. I mean, it's in it's in the Middle East. Like, it is I mean, it's in, it's in the Middle East. It is it is region. just south. It is just south of Saudi Arabia. Yep. Um, on the Arabian Peninsula, and it 
like, like I'm going to try to simplify it, uh, simplify the history as much as possible so we can get to like what the real problem is that's going on and how the United States is currently contributing to it. So this started where uh, Yemen had a president. Uh, his name was uh, Ali Abdullah uh, Saleh. I think that's how you say his name. I'm, I might have a little bit of trouble pronouncing some of these names. I do apologize for that. I mean, we have trouble pronouncing names that are like, American all the time. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so in 2011, he was forced out because of um, an uprising, and he was replaced with his uh, his deputy um, Abradu Mansar Hadi. I again, I do not know if I said that correctly, but I apologize. Um, That's what we get so, for reading our news. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, print news is better, but you don't get to hear how all the names are pronounced. Yeah. So anyways, um, a lot of people were unhappy with this. And particularly, there was a large group of people that made up what was called the Houthi movement. Um, now, the Houthi movement were made up of the uh, Shia Muslim minority within the country of Yemen. So it was originally a, it was originally run by Sunnis. Um, the Houthis, they were Shia. Now, and if you know anything about uh, Islam and especially, you know, current politics in the Middle East, you know that the Shia and the Sunni Muslims don't really like each other, to put it mildly. So eventually the, uh, the, uh, the Houthis, they took over the country. Now, Saudi Arabia wasn't too happy with this because Saudi Arabia is Sunni. Mm -hmm. So Saudi Arabia created this coalition of eight other uh, Sunni uh, Arabic countries to basically start a war with, um, with the Houthis in Yemen. Now, originally they thought that the war was just going to be over and done with pretty quickly, and that ended up not being what happened. So the Houthis actually did, they actually did put up a pretty decent fight. And there's been an armed conflict between both sides ever since, to, you know, from the start of 2015. And civilians have been caught in the crossfire. And not only that, but the primary method that Saudi Arabia has been using in order to, to fight them, like there's been a lot of airstrikes, there been, there's been a lot of direct conf conflict. But the biggest thing they've been doing is they've taken over uh, some ports on the coast and prevented imports of things like food and medicine mm -hmm. from going in. Yeah. They have blockades to prevent directly humanitarian aid from going in. And in the meantime, civilians within, within Yemen have been dying by the thousands. Currently in this conflict, the body count total is 233,000 deaths. And of those, 131,000 have been indirectly caused by a lack of food, health services, and infrastructure. So that means the, uh, the food and the medicine that Saudi Arabia is preventing from going into the country is, uh, is not getting to them. Now, I would... I, I, in the interest of fairness, I do want to point out the fact that the Houthis 
they've also been targeting civilians. They've mm -hmm. also taken out many civilians. They've targeted civilian structures in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And that is wrong, to be clear. That is wrong. Mm -hmm. But what Saudi Arabia is doing in response, I mean, it borders on genocide at this point. I mean, tens of thousands of civilians have been killed or wounded as a direct result of the fighting. So the, uh, the total number of, um, of civilians who have been directly killed have been approximately 17,500. Mm -hmm. And when I say directly, I'm saying like civilians killed in airstrikes. Yeah. Like not, not civilians that have starved to death. That doesn't include that number. Yeah. These are people that have been directly targeted and killed. Just between um, 2015 and 2019, Saudi Arabia launched 20,000 airstrikes on Yemen. 12 yeah. attacks per day. And only a third of them were on military targets. They also yeah. bombed hospitals, schools, mosques, farms, factories, bridges, uh, power plants, water treatment plants. Yeah. Four million people have been forced to flee their homes. More than 21.7 million, which is 71% of the population, mm -hmm. are in need of some form of humanitarian aid. This is according to the BBC. Yeah. Um, need some form of humanitarian aid or protection for their survival. So that's almost that's a little over 20 million that will die without that humanitarian aid that Saudi Arabia is preventing from getting into the country through their blockade. They include 5 million who are on the brink of famine according to the to the UN. Almost 50,000 that are already experiencing famine-like conditions. An estimated 2.3 million children under the age of five, 2.3 million children under the age of five are malnourished. 400,000 are at risk of dying without treatment, according to the UN. Only half of the country's 3,500 medical facilities are actually functional. 20% of districts have absolutely no doctors. Almost 20 million people lack access to adequate health care. One out of every two people do not have access to safe water. All right. There has been a cholera outbreak, which there's no medical aid that can go to these people, which has resulted in 2.5 million suspected cases and so far 4,000 deaths since 2006. And also, let's not forget about COVID. Like, let's not forget about the fact that COVID has uh, um, been affecting them, too. There have been uh, 9,800 confirmed cases and 1,880 deaths. That is a oh. massive death rate. Oh, my God. From COVID. That's mind-blowing. So now you might be wondering, well... Isn't the this segment, sorry we fucked up your country, yeah. what does the U.S. have to do with this? Well, unfortunately, quite a lot. So the United States, during this conflict, has been selling weapons to Saudi Arabia that they can then use to go and bomb civilians. Mm -hmm. So according to uh, Human Rights Watch... Um, 
there have been at least, uh, they, they have documented at least 90 unlawful Saudi-led coalition strikes, including deadly attacks on Yemen fishing boats that have killed dozens and have appeared to be deliberate attacks on civilians and civilian objects. They're indiscriminately firing artillery on Yemen cities, killing civilians. I mean, and we're selling them the weapons to do it. Yeah. And we've been selling them yeah, the weapons to do it. Three administrations. Yeah. This started in 2015 under Obama. Yeah. And our support got even more, like, got way worse under the Trump administration. Between April and October 2019, Trump used his veto power to prevent Congress from forcing withdrawal of U.S. military support from Saudi Arabia three times. Um, and the crazy thing about all this, especially how explicit it has been under the Trump administration, is the fact that this is so clearly just part of the military industrial complex. Yeah. Like the, you know, the reason why we supported Saudi Arabia, at least the nominal reason why we supported Saudi Arabia in the beginning in 2015 was because we were trying to negotiate the Iran nuclear deal with Tehran and still maintain our diplomatic relations uh, with Saudi Arabia, Iran's enemy. So they were not thrilled with that. Our relations were very strained and they came to us and said, hey, we want help fighting this rebellion. And like the rubric, apparently the administration gave it very little thought. They studied the issue, according to the Obama administration, very little. And the rubric seemed obvious, right? They had a partner, Saudi Arabia, seeking help restoring a government, President Hadi's, um, which the U.S. regarded as legitimate. And... Hadi was a loyal ally in like the war against Al-Qaeda. And yeah. the government had been toppled by insurgents. That seems like a recipe in a bottle for U.S. intervention. But the fact is that like it's continued. And yeah. under the Trump administration, it escalated. And it's really clearly about the money and the jobs for defense contractors. Like yeah. explicitly. So in June 2017, to give one example, a Republican senator was part of a group trying to prevent further weapon sales to Saudi Arabia. Trump's aide, Peter Navarro, who had been picked as like the liaison for the Oval Office for defense firms, right? Which is not a normal thing that the Oval Office has. Um, consulted with American arms manufacturers, and then wrote a memo to Jared Kushner and other top White House officials. And the title of the memo was Trump Mideast Arms Sales Deal in Extreme Jeopardy, Job Losses Imminent. Specifically about this Republican person trying to prevent us from continuing to support this war in Yemen. Arms sales deal, job losses. This was an economic memo. Records show that 
the foreign, foreign military sales facilitated by the U.S. government under the Trump administration averaged $51 billion per year in the first three years, compared to $36 billion per year during the final term of the, of the Obama administration, which already saw an increase from previous years. From $36 billion to $51 billion. Like, like, defense contractors were literally part of the Trump administration. Mark Esper, who became Trump's defense secretary, was the chief lobbyist for Raytheon, which was which directly benefited from like having Saudi Arabia as a client after the war in Yemen began. In 2015, Raytheon booked more than three billion dollars in new bomb sales. Like, there's no other reason and to be there. Like, it's it's just yeah. for the fucking money. Yeah. And probably the oil too. Yeah. I mean, well, and let's, the allies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. let's not talk about Trump without talking about Biden too. I totally agree. Point. Yeah. Because look, I I remember when he first started. As president, he signed an executive order that at first I thought meant, great, it's over. We're going to stop supporting this Saudi-led genocide in Yemen. Unfortunately, I was naive. And I would like to apologize to Biden for giving him credit and uh, thinking for a second that he actually had... Um, he actually had a sense of humanity in him when it comes to the Yemeni people because the, the wording of it was that we would stop selling offensive weapons to Saudi Arabia, but not stop selling weapons in general. And in fact, in the, the defense bill that Michael and I talked about last week, there was a proposed amendment to strike a $250 million deal to export 280 Raytheon-built missiles and 596 missile launchers to Saudi Arabia. And there was a resolution to, to block that. It was a bipartisan resolution, and it was led by, uh, by Bernie Sanders... Rand Paul, Mike Lee, which credit to all three of them. I I normally despise Rand Paul and I normally despise Mike Lee. They're right on this issue. Mm. Wait, the amendment failed. 67 to 30. 67 to fucking 30. All 67 of those senators that voted for this are complicit in genocide. Wait. Every single fucking one of them. We funded $250 million of missiles? No, we accepted money from them to give them, to give gotcha. them we sold. the weapons. Okay. We sold them gotcha. the weapons. For a second, I thought it was U.S. military aid to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> no, no, we gave them the weapons. We gave them the fucking, we sold them the fucking weapons. And the argument, the argument that Joe Biden is making is that, well, 
they're defensive. They're obviously defensive. Clearly, they're defensive. All right? So I just think about how fucking ridiculous that is for a second. First off, like, I'm going to make a comparison, and I think that this is a legitimate comparison. If Hitler were to say, hey, U.S., can you sell us a bunch of weapons and we promise we won't use them to kill any Jews? Would we fucking do that? No, of course we wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Now, that might sound like, like a strong comparison, but remember those numbers that I read you. There are 20 million people that will fucking die without humanitarian aid. And Saudi Arabia, as a method of collective punishment, are are very specifically making sure there are blockades for that aid getting to those people. Mm -hmm. There are currently 5 million people who are on the brink of famine that will die imminently if they do not get this aid. All right? Do you think that you trust them to only use these for defense? And let me also point out, Let's understand what defense means in this context, all right? So the airstrikes that the coalition has carried out against civilians is only part of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's killed almost 20,000 civilians, and that is, a huge, that is a huge point to bring up. But the famine alone has killed over, significantly over 100,000 people. These... These weapons, these defensive weapons are going to be used. And this is, this is an argument made by the foreign policy website. They're going to be used to maintain those blockades. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the blockades, they're not being aggressive. They're just there. I mean, if anybody comes, of course, they're going to blow them up. But that's defensive. All right. That's defensive. So the part, the part of the Saudi-led genocide in Yemen that is having the most impact the blockades will be the most to benefit from this weapons deal. Yeah. And 67 senators fucking voted for it. 67 senators. 67 senators voted to support genocide, to promote famine. And Joe Biden begged for it. He begged for this deal to go through. He's complicit in this genocide. Our tax dollars are going towards creating these weapons to sell to a hostile power that is actively causing famine in another country, killing children, starving civilians. That is what is happening, and we are letting it happen. We are, we are contributing to it happening. We could stop this now, all right? Joe Biden, with the stroke of a pen, could say, we are no longer going to be giving them any weapons. He could do that, and he's not doing it. And I don't know what, the, I don't know what his motives are, and I don't give a shit. This is wrong. This is, this is a fucking war crime, and we're doing it. Sorry we fucked up your country. And now it's time for our favorite segment, 
Ass hat of the week. So, Michael, who is our ass hat this week? Well, Nathan, we've got a new ass hat on the show this week. I don't think we've actually Ooh. talked about him before. Wonderful. Yeah, this is Representative Thomas Massey. Ooh, Massey. Who the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so many Massey. There's so many re- representatives. It's ridiculous. Well, he's a Republican representative from Kentucky. Ooh, I like him already. Yeah, he's he's great. <laughs> um, and he's receiving a lot of flack, somewhat justified, for his re- most recent Christmas card photo, uh, which he Ooh. also put out on Twitter. It's him and his wife. It's very sweet. It's him and his wife, two daughters, three sons, sitting in front of their huh. Christmas tree on a leather oh, couch. Nice. It's really nice. And yeah. and every one of them is holding a. Well, I think many people would refer to them as assault-style rifles. <laughs> Wait, what now? Yeah, well, he's got. <laughs> he appears to have a sniper rifle. I think uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of guns. I mean, they're all pointed in a safe direction, which is good. I think one of them has okay, what something. looks like an an M9, <laughs> maybe an Uzi. I don't know. Anyway, huh? Yeah, and with the caption "Merry Christmas, P.S. Santa, please bring ammo." So that's a pretty funny card. <laughs> I mean, in any other context, yeah. I'd probably look at that as wholesome. Yes, yes, perhaps. But uh, context matters. Context matters. It really matters. So this came out on December 4th, just five days after a teenager opened fire at a school in Michigan, killing three students in yet another school mass shooting. So not a good, a little bit tone deaf, not a great look, (laughs) Representative Massey. Like, let, let me give you an analogy, all right? Say somebody owned a, a, a large white van, and they got into that white van, and they plowed into a crowd of people, all right? And it became a huge national story. Yeah. What would it then look like if for your holiday card, you sent out a picture of you standing in front of your large white van with your family mm-hmm. with, I don't know, a bunch of thumbs up yeah. or whatever? No, just pretending to get hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or pretending to get hit or something like that. I don't know. Like, again, I have no problem with a family of people that like guns as long as they're being responsible with those guns. Yeah. I really have no problem with that. Yeah. But, like, read the fucking room, bro. Yeah, man. Jesus. I agree. It's just, like, <laughs> super fucking, like, is it is it really time for a pro-gun, yeah. like, we just love guns so much holiday card? Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Come on, and the, and, but the unfortunate <laughs> thing is, like, is there ever a good time in the U.S. to release a gun holiday card? Because we have so many mass shootings. Like, yeah. you know, it's just always going to, you know, you just, you can never release a gun holiday card anymore. It's just it's the left cancel culture <laughs> bullshit, man. <laughs> Anyway, a lighthearted one this week for a pretty sad, uh, for a pretty sad episode overall. But honestly, just like read the room, dude. You're a fucking. Yeah. You're one of like I mean the six hundred or whatever most like you know five thirty eight most powerful people in this country. Yeah. Like, I mean we've we've had worse ass hats, sure. but like 
you know, c- come on, bro. Come on. So congratulations to Thomas Massey for by the skin of his teeth making it on to being this week's Ass Hat of, of the, the Week. week. So for our last segment, uh, there's actually a pretty strong tie-in to, uh, you know, our asshat this week. We are talking about gun negligence. So, you know, rather than like talking about, you know, uh, gun violence more generally, rather than talking about shootings, we're specifically talking about this sliver of problem, which is gun negligence. Yeah. And... Part of what sparked this conversation is the fact that the parents of that kid who uh, shot up a school in uh, in Michigan have actually been charged with involuntary manslaughter for, well, negligence, for gun negligence. And what's interesting is that the first time that I saw, like the first time I saw this headline before I actually read it, my initial reaction was, well, that probably sounds like bullshit. Hmm. Because, I mean, y- y'all, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I am a little bit more moderate to kind of almost, in some ways, a little bit more right-wing mm-hmm. when it comes to guns. I, 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 I'm I, not saying that I don't believe in any regulation. I've never said that. Yeah. But I do have guns. Uh, I grew up around guns. When I was like four or five, my dad taught me how to shoot a BB gun. Now, to be clear, my dad also was very careful and he made sure that I understood the rules and knew the rules. Mm -hmm. And I was never allowed to even look at a gun without him there, Mm -hmm. without him present. And the guns were mainly kept under lock and key. So, you know, it was... It was responsible and all that. But but I, I've heard people make stupid arguments about gun negligence before. Mm-hmm. Like, I've heard people make the argument of, oh, well, someone had their house broke into and somebody stole their gun and then they used that gun to go rob a convenience store. We should we should charge the person who had their gun stolen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they, they're a victim of a crime. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Like, they're a victim of robbery. You know, if someone, if someone broke into your house and, I don't know, stole your kitchen knife and used it to kill somebody, are you responsible? Of course not. Mm-hmm. It's fucking stupid. But then I actually read what happened. And there are some places in which the parents really could have prevented this. And I think it actually does make sense to spark a larger conversation about gun negligence. So it started off with the parents buying uh, a nine millimeter gun for their uh, 15 year old son. So, so the parents are James and Jennifer Crumley, and uh, the the 15-year-old kid's name is Ethan. So they bought him they bought him a nine millimeter gun. Now, to be clear, like the intention behind it was not to say, okay, well, this is yours, you can keep it in your room now, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's you know, this is yours for when we go to the shooting range, this is the gun that you use. Yeah. But it's still technically the parents. But the issue is, they, I mean, according to prosecutors, which I do want to be completely fair, um, the defense, the 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 defendant, the, the defense lawyer says that this is an incorrect claim. So, like, you know, 
There will be a yeah, trial. Truce will come out then. Like this is alleged at this point. I I want to make sure that I you know I'm not misleading anybody. It's possible that there are other things that uh, that are at play here. But according to the prosecutor, the gun was kept in a dresser in the parents' room, mm. not under lock and key, mm-hmm. which means that you know uh, Ethan would have had steady access to it. Yeah. So on one occasion, he was apparently caught trying to. Uh, trying to look up ammunition, buy ammunition on his phone at school. Mm-hmm. And he got in trouble for it. And according to the authorities, uh, his mother, Jennifer Crumley, texted him saying, quote, LOL, I'm not mad at you. You have to learn not to get caught. Mm. Not the best start. Um. On the day of the actual shooting itself, and by the way, Ethan went to school. Ethan Crumley went to school, and he had the gun in his backpack. So the day of the school shooting, a teacher discovered a note on the teen- on his desk. It depicted somebody being shot with a gun and a bullet, and on it there were there were um, there were the words "blood everywhere" and "help me." Now. After the teacher discovered it, the parents were called, were were, uh, uh, were called, mm-hmm. and they were told, "Hey, you need to give this guy counseling." Yeah. Now, at this moment, considering the fact that the parents knew that there was a gun at home, that they knew that uh, he had access to it, allegedly, allegedly, this is according to the prosecutors. All right, allegedly, they knew that he had access to it, and allegedly, he did have access to it. This probably would have been an opportune time to be like, fuck, check his backpack mm-hmm. right now. Or I'm going to just check my dresser real quick. Make sure that there's not a gun, that, that the gun is still there. Yeah. But they didn't. And later that day, he shot up his school. Yeah. He killed several classmates and injured several more. So, I mean, the. There are some people that have made the argument that the school should have checked his backpack, and yeah, they probably should have. But honestly, if if those facts are correct, if those facts are correct, you know, and again, the truth will come out in a trial, hopefully, but if those facts are correct, this is gun negligence. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Look, um, I, I am a strong believer in teaching kids gun safety. Mm-hmm. I'm a strong believer of that. I fully intend when I have kids to teach them how to handle a gun at a pretty young age. I mean, obviously I'm going to start them out with a BB gun, um, but I'm going to teach them how to handle guns and I'm going to teach them gun safety at a young age. And you know what else? I'm going to have those guns under, uh, yeah. you know, under lock and key. Yeah at all times uh, when we're not using them. Mm-hmm. I am never going to let my kids even look at the guns without me there, yep. without me present. Yep. All right? That's the thing. So in the U.S., there are 393 million guns. There's 121 guns for every 100 people, Right? of people live in a household with a gun. Guns are here 
They're, they're part of our households, right? The thing about a gun is that it is the ultimate instrument of death, right? It is the, the most effective means that almost anyone is around on a day-to-day basis of someone dying, right? Yeah. And so that means that it requires an extremely high uh, standard of care in order to make sure that it is handled safely by people that are intended to handle it, but also that people who are not intended to handle it don't, right? In 2017, 39,773 people died from handgun-related injuries in the United States. 60% of those were suicides, 37% homicides, and 3% accidents, right? Yeah. Three quarters of all murders, half of all suicides involve guns. They are extremely effective at killing things. It's their main, it's their main, is what they were designed to do, regardless of how they're intended to be used in the house. And unfortunately, and this is something that I think that we don't talk about enough is like, I don't think that, I don't think liberals talk about it enough because usually when we talk about gun violence, we talk about someone shooting other people. And obviously conservatives don't talk about it enough because they won't say anything bad about guns, but you are significantly more likely to commit suicide if there is a gun in your house. Yes. So not everybody should have guns in their house, especially if they're Mm -hmm. experiencing um, a spout of depression or, you know, if they, if, if it's not something that they're in a mental state in which they can, like they can responsibly have it. Yeah. And adolescents and are at an even higher risk. Exactly. Of so that's another, yeah. that's another important factor when it comes to gun negligence. All right. Yeah. If you're a parent and you have a gun, you don't want your kid using that mm-hmm. either, you know, purposely or on accident. Yeah. You don't want them using it to, to potentially kill themselves, mm-hmm. to take their own life. Yeah. And a lot of that comes down to making sure that, People that are at that age do not have steady access exactly. to guns. Yeah. Yeah. 1,300 children, 18 and under, die annually from guns, and many more are seriously injured to the point where, like, you know, the American uh, Academy of Pediatrics jumped to the national conclusion, right? The best way to prevent gun death in your home, whether it's violence, suicide, or accident, is to not have a gun in your home. But we already said 44% of homes have guns. There are 393 million guns. The, not Just not having a gun in your home is not the solution, unfortunately. But the solution is, you know, keeping it in a place where people don't have, like, where, where people that shouldn't be having access to it don't have access to it. Keeping, yeah. you know, ammo in a separate place. Like, following, like, basic uh you know gun safety and access restrictions is like the best thing you can do um, and this this is one of those things that i'm really worried that people on the right are going to just take a really stupid approach with mm-hmm. because nobody has been worse for the gun rights movement than gun rights activists. Yeah, no kidding. Like, like the NRA, people in the NRA have just made the stupidest arguments 
the worst possible arguments. Uh, Republican politicians who, by the way, I still, I've said this before, I still think that most of them couldn't care less about guns. Yeah, I agree. I, I really, I honestly believe that. I think for most of them, it's either because they know their constituency likes guns or because they're getting a bunch of money from the NRA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really don't think, like, I, I'd say a majority of them probably could not care less about guns. Mm-hmm. So the problem is you have people like that who don't actually believe it, who are, you know, who they're, they're arguing guns from an, from a completely black and white yeah. perspective. Sure. And this is one of those cases where if you actually do want to protect gun rights, if you actually do want to continue to create the narrative that there are responsible gun owners and we should be encouraging responsible gun ownership, yeah. you cannot be defending gun negligence. Yes. You just can't. So true. Guns are dangerous. They are. I don't give a shit how much you love them. I love them. They are fucking dangerous, though. Yeah. All right? They are dangerous. Yeah. And if you do not respect them, if you do not treat them with the the care that a deadly, a, a deadly tool, what can also be a deadly weapon, what it deserves... You do not deserve to have a gun. Yeah. You should not have a gun. Yeah. And if you actually want to protect gun rights, the best thing you can do is encourage responsible gun ownership mm-hmm. through actual arguments. Like, don't just use the term responsible gun ownership. That's always thrown around. Oh, look at all these responsible gun owners. There's so many responsible gun owners. Yeah. Explain how to be a responsible gun owner. Mm-hmm. Explain it. Yeah. And hold Fucking people legislate it in some yeah, cases. Hold people responsible, like this case of gun negligence in Michigan, when they fail to be responsible gun owners. Like one of one of the more effective measures that's been introduced is um, child access protection or prevention laws, which hold adults criminally liable for unsafe unsafe storage of firearms around children. Yeah, you know, and the thing is like. I think I think it's tempting for gun owners and and partially I think this is because of the gun rights debate and the gun rights talking points you know pushed by the right it's tempting for irresponsible gun owners to believe to to not believe that the worst could happen to them right to to yeah. to to really not think about that scenario like many people many parents like believe that hiding their gun is an effective way of keeping kids from accessing it. But 75% of children who live in homes with guns know where they're stored. Yeah. Whether like whether there's, they're in your drawer or not. <laughs> there was this really great ad a while back where there were these two moms that were like they were just chilling with each other and their kids were inside on a play date mm-hmm. and they come running out of the house and they have these they have dildos and they're like whacking each other with it. <laughs> and both of the moms are just watching it appalled. <laughs> and the the caption is, when kids find things, they play with them. Yeah. Like lock up your guns. Yeah, that's a that's And that great. is an amazing that's point. An amazing that point. is a really important point. Yeah. You know, I mean, because I mean, they're dildos. Yeah, that's that's uncomfortable. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> they're, they're, you know, yeah, that's really uncomfortable. But imagine if they were guns. Yeah. 
Like that could have been deadly. And it plays on a, so, another really important point, which is the fact that parents believe that their kids know the difference between a real gun and a toy gun. Mm. But yes, 16% of unintentional firearm deaths among children younger than 13 years old were because the gun was mistaken for a toy. Yeah. Because they play with it, right? And a, yeah. a child as young as three can pull uh, the trigger of a normal handgun. Yeah. So I don't know how many people listen to the show are gun owners. Yeah. I imagine it's not a lot. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I imagine that every time you hear me say the word gun, you think, oh, fuck. <laughs> Another Nathan Loves Guns segment. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do have a gun and you do have kids, or you know, if, if, if kids come to your house on a regular basis, yeah. when there are kids in the house, please lock them up. Yeah. All right? Don't just hide them. Yeah. Lock them up. Yeah, and if you, and also like, Think of yourself, too. If you're going through a tough time, if you're going through a mental health crisis of some kind, get the gun out of the house. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And now we will end our show as we usually do on our highlights. So, Nathan, what's your highlight this week? So this is the last week of school. And that means I've been sending my students off with, you know, heart, heart uplifting messages, heartfelt messages and all that. Anybody can get an A if you believe. (laughs) No, (laughs) but, uh, I've had a lot of students come up to me after, after class, after the last class to say goodbye and just say some really nice things. And one that happened just tonight was a student said that um I am going like I am going to become uh going to add in a communication as a as part of a double major mm. because of your class. Wow. And that that is that's awesome. what every professor wants to hear. Like to to be that professor that encouraged somebody to to change your major. I still I still talk to the professor that made me want to be a communication major. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still have a friendly relationship with her and she, she always talks about how proud she is that, that she was able to do that. And just having a student come up and say that it was just, it felt so good. Mm-hmm. I, I was really glad that I was able to be that for, for somebody. That's awesome, dude. That's really nice. What about you, Mike's? What's your, uh, what's your highlight, bro? I think my highlight is that Bree's birthday is tomorrow. So we're going to be doing some celebrating and I get to give her her presents, which I'm excited about and I've had for a while and. They've been like, I've been like really wanting to give them to her. So that's going to be really fun. (laughs) Nice. And with that, thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum. And you'll hear from us again next week.